Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. Good to see each of you here. Glad that you made your hour time change. And uh, I know if you're a little bit like me, you might be a little sleepy, and that's okay. I'm glad that you're here and glad that we can worship together. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19. We're going to continue our studies as we unpack this book. I laid out this week um, uh, a plan. And the plan is that we will be through the book of Acts uh, by the time summer hits. And so that's the plan. We'll see if that happens. So kind of mapped it out and uh, excited about that. Uh, Again, I've told you before, Zach thinks that it's going to be like another year and a half before we get through the book of Acts. But... Uh, we're, we're excited. I'm excited to continue to preach through this and to share this message. Um, we'll read through the whole chapter, chapter 19. Don't worry. I know you're saying, is this going to be as long as last week? No, it won't be. All right. And first, let me just apologize. And some of you are going to say, don't apologize. Just listen to me. All right. It was an hour long. That's the longest sermon I've ever preached ever. And if you sat through it, Congratulations. Um, I share my heart, and part of the reason why I didn't realize it was that long was because you were engaged. Uh, Whenever I preach, um, I can tell when you're losing, like, interest. When when there's some of you that, like, okay, I've I've gone too long, you kind of, like, okay, you put your head down, you become distracted, you see other things. And that's just normal. That's for all of us. I, I would do that, too, if I was sitting out there. And, and last week wasn't that way. And so I, I appreciate your, your involvement, your interaction, even though there wasn't any speaking on your part. A couple of you texted me. A couple of you talked to me about, man, I wanted to clap. I wanted to cheer. What would you have done, Pastor, if we would have stood up and cheered? Um, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done, but it would have been cool. Um, so let me encourage you, whatever your response is, it's not to me. It's to our Lord. And so whatever you need to do in order to respond to the Lord as he leads you and guides you, you're the spirit of God that leads you, be obedient to that. And uh, I never want to take away from what God is doing in your life. Um, maybe that's, a, you know, we don't do altar calls anymore, um, but these steps are available anytime. So if you need to come and you need to pray, uh, whether it's while Vince is playing or while we're singing a song, this is available. We, we want to do business with the Lord as we come in here. Um, just talking with one of my pastor friends, he was giving me a hard time because he listened to my sermon. He's like, dude, you preached for an hour. He's like, not like 30 minutes, not 40 minutes, not 50 minutes. You preached for over an hour, Aaron. I said, I know, yeah. And uh, he said, as we talked more, and uh, just to get his input and his, his observations, being a fellow pastor and what he sees during these times uh, as a pastor and as a leader of a church. Um, he said, Aaron, he said, one of the things that concerns me most is that people, when they come into church, they really don't want to change. And that's hit me. It's something that has gone on in my mind and my heart ever since we had that conversation and I don't know what your motive is. I don't know um, what, where you are in your mind and your heart with the Lord. But let me encourage you and let me challenge you. 
that every time that we gather together, every time you open the word of God, even on your own, that you have a heart of humility that says, Lord, teach me. Lord, show me. Humble me, because I don't have it all together. I think, I think sometimes we come into church to do our duty. Sometimes we don't even really uh, think about it in that way. We'd, we would never admit that. We'd never want that. But sometimes I think we miss what God has for us in our, in our own pride. And so this morning, um, I'm going to watch time a little closer. All right. Um, I'm not going to preach according to the time. I'm going to preach according to what I believe God's word tells me and what God, how God leads me. I didn't hear any amens, but that's okay. All right. I believe that God has called me to preach the fullness of his word. And that's what I want to continue to do. Uh, would you pray with me before we dig in? Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the opportunity to open this book, the book of Acts, and Lord, to be able to read through this letter that Dr. Luke had, had put together, Lord, for the early church, for them to see the insights of how the gospel was spreading throughout all the world and how your spirit moved in the lives of the people who heard the gospel message. Lord, we sit here. And I pray, Lord, that your word would penetrate our minds and our hearts today. I pray that we would not leave here until we've done business with you. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace, for your goodness. I thank you also that you are a just and righteous God. And I'm thankful, Lord, that we can trust you, that we can rely upon you. Continue to show your patience to our world, Lord, so that others may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Lord, as we open up Acts 19, Lord, have your way in us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Acts 19, we'll look at verses 1 through 41. When I uh, read, it'll be also up on the screen for you to follow along. Um, there are a few names in here that uh, I hope to get close to saying. If I don't, I'm just going to continue on. Don't let it be a distraction, okay? Thank you for smiling and laughing with me, those of you who did. Acts chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John's baptism with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On learning this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. 
And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrrhenius. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those whom had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. The evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out, out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to Jerusalem saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent to Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen and similar trades, and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnific magnificence, she whom Asia and the world worshipped. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and uh, Articus, uh, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in amongst the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. 
But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of Ephesus is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our God. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So what we see here are three different stories, right? Three stories that kind of help us as Paul comes to Ephesus, we see the working of God in this place. Um, in fact, there's a whole uh, letter that we have the letter to the Ephesians um, that speak of Paul's work uh, and God's using Paul and the church that was started there. Paul spends quite a bit of time here in Ephesus. And so when you see the word Asia, remember this is not our Asia today. This was Asia Minor. So it would be our modern day Turkey. Um, and so when you see that, this was a, a broad land that the gospel had started in Jerusalem and had gone out to and that Paul had already traveled. And now he was on his third missionary journey as he traveled through the land. He was here in Ephesus. And when he, when he comes to Ephesus, he comes upon these 12. They, they're called disciples. Now, these are, uh, are disciples of John. It would be described as, as, as Dr. Luke is sharing this term disciples, it's not disciples of Jesus. These are disciples of John, John the Baptist. When, when Paul comes, he sees what they're doing. He knows that there's something different, okay? Because in, in the Jewish synagogue, um, John the Baptist, uh, while he was recognized, uh, his, his, his message was not easily accepted. Okay, because what John did, John shared of the baptism of repentance, preparing the way for who? For the Messiah, for Jesus. And so as Paul comes, he hears uh, them as they're teaching. He watches them and observes them, and he sees that there's something missing. What's missing? The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit that had come and was indwelling in the believers as the gospel message moved from Jerusalem to all of Asia and around the world, these 12 did not have the Spirit. It was evident. Paul could see that. And so he starts asking them some questions. And he asks them, what baptism have you been baptized with? And they're like, well, there's only been one. And so Paul has the opportunity to share how John's baptism was the prerequisite for, for Jesus coming. It was a, a call to, for people to prepare their hearts uh, of repentance that would allow them in their minds and their hearts then to accept Jesus as their Lord. And that's a key word um, that, that Dr. Luke uses here in verse 5. It says, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name 
of the Lord Jesus. I think that's really important for us to see as we see the clarity that Paul wants them to understand. That Jesus was the Messiah and he was called to be their Lord. And so as they placed their faith and trust in him, they also were responsive in obedience and that obedience was baptism. It was brought to my attention that we haven't talked a whole lot about baptism here. And, uh, and, and that's my fault. I take full responsibility. And for the last year, um, it's just been an oversight. And so let me pause for a second. This was a critical point in the early church. And I think it's critical for us today. Baptism is important. And as followers of Jesus, it shouldn't be an option. We're commanded. Just as we're commanded in, in, in our time of communion, of remembering the sacrifice that, made, that Jesus made for us, we're also commanded to be baptized. And so let me encourage you, if this is something that you haven't done, if you haven't taken that step yet, it, it is this. It is an outward expression of an inward faith. It is saying, I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. He was buried and he rose again three days later. Not only is it an outward expression of that inward faith, but it is an act of obedience. It's saying, Lord, I see that this is critical and it's crucial. And I want to be obedient to that. Now, we may differ on what baptism looks like and how, it, how we can do it. We believe that it's immersion, that you are dunked under. All right, that term immersed is uh, the picture that I like to see is that to use is a cucumber. And how do you make it a pickle? You don't just sprinkle on a few seasonings and put a little oil on top of it. All right, it's still a cucumber. And the only way to move that cucumber or that, that cucumber to a pickle is you have to dunk it under. Now, we won't leave you under the water that long, okay? Uh, we won't make you into a pickle, but it is that very act of, of, uh, of baptizo, that Greek word to mean to, in, to immerse, to dunk under. We also see that anytime there's baptism that's mentioned, um, especially when it comes to uh, the early part of how uh, the, the early church, we see there's usually a large body of water that's talked about. And so we see this uh, throughout the word of God. And let me encourage you, if that's an act of obedience that you need to take that you haven't yet, please don't be afraid to come talk to me or talk to Pastor David or Pastor Ed or any, anyone on staff. We'd love to talk with you more about that. It is an act of obedience. It is something that you can honor God with and you can also proclaim your faith. You know, some people around our globe if they are baptized, they are cut off from their family. They, they are shamed, or it may even cost them their life. But they do it because they take a stand and they say, this is what my faith is. We don't have that kind of persecution here, but that shouldn't make it any less significant for us. We see these 12, as they, as they heard Paul share, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, they, accept, they, they received the Holy Spirit. And we see evidence of that 
And the evidence of that is the speaking in tongues and prophesying. We say, well, is that still available today? First, let me say, I believe God can do anything he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. So I will not put God in a box and say, these things will not or cannot happen. All right? I'm not going to do that. I do believe that for this period in time, when the early church was starting, that, that it became very clear who those who were followers of Jesus. Dr. Luke uses it twice in our passage here of the term, the way. Those who are part of the way, which goes back to Isaiah, and, and in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, of speaking of the way of Jesus, the Messiah that was going to come. And so those who are part of the way, it was shown very early on that this was something that was real. How did you know that? Because they were able to speak in foreign languages to proclaim the gospel. They were able to share the truth, truths that they may not have known before. Part of that is the prophesying, not prophecy of talking about what is to come of, of future events. The prophesying here, I believe, talks about the truth, the truth that they would not have knowledge of, but that God gave them in a very spiritual and real way. We see that Paul entered the synagogue for three months. He spoke boldly after that, after three months. It wasn't just three weeks like we've seen in other passages. This time he gets three full months. All right. So there's a progression here, but when some became, look at verse 9, when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of, there it is, there's the term, of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and he took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the halls of Ty Tyranus. So what he did is he left the synagogue and he went into the city and there he proclaimed the gospel. Now verse 10 speaks of, also points to verse 26. And so what we see here is as, as Luke is sharing about the gospel that's, that's, that's being pro proclaimed and accepted in Ephesus, he says this, this continued for two years. Paul continued for a long time now. He's sharing the gospel so that what? All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, skip down with me to verse 26, and it says, And you see in here, not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia. So this Demetrius that we're going to look at in just a minute also acknowledges that there's something to this word that Paul is preaching. Because it isn't just staying in Ephesus, it's going out to all of Asia. Which, as I was thinking and praying about, I thought about that with us. Can it be said of us as we live our lives that the word of God is continuing to be proclaimed? Yeah, we, we support missionaries in foreign fields and some are here locally. It isn't just up to our missionaries to proclaim the gospel. It's up to each one of us. And so can it be said of us, of West Hill, that the gospel is being spread throughout all of Summit County, all of Ohio? It's a challenge to us. A second story is this, and I'll try to move along a little quicker. It says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles at the hand of Paul. So as Paul is preaching, as he's sharing throughout these two years, um, God is using him in powerful ways. And there's great miracles that are going on in such way that 
people, whenever they could get something that had touched Paul, they would take it and, and they believe it, it possessed uh, healing powers. Now this, as we read it, sometimes we, we forget that, that, uh, that sorcery and magic were a real deal back then too, not just today. And so there were some, and even in the Jewish customs, um, there was this, this idea, this, this, this real thought of magic and how magic uh, could be used. And we see that these are Jews. These aren't just the Gentiles. These are the Jews that had been led astray. And so they were taking articles of Paul's clothing and trying to use them for their own gain. You know, with these three stories, we see the first is a group of people who were desiring of learning, of growing. They just didn't have the full message. They were missing something. What we see here with this group is the fact that they were trying to gain personal gain. In fact, they were using it as an abuse. And so uh, God, in his goodness, sees this. And what does he do? Well, these seven sons uh, of, of Sceva... As they go out and as they're trying to uh, expel these demons, the, the demon in this one instance responds and says, hey, we, we know Jesus and we've heard of Paul, but who are you? I don't know about you, but that would be freaky. First of all, it'd be freaky talking to a demon anyway. But the second part is, is this, is they were not in a relationship with God. They were, they were abusing what was laid before them. They missed the message of the gospel. And so they were going out for their own personal gain. And, and, and it came back and it backfired on them. So much so that this demon possessed man overtook seven sons. Okay, one, two, but seven? Seven of them so that they ran out all bloodied and naked. And so this story starts spreading through all of Ephesus. And notice the response as people heard this. Verse 17, and all this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them from in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to be worth 50,000 pieces of silver. Notice this last verse in this section. Now the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. God used something evil, something where people wanted their own gain and turned it and did awesome things. The last part of this section is this riot in Ephesus. And so we see this man, Demetrius, and uh, he gets all of his, uh, his union buddies together as they are makers of idols of uh, silver and other, um, other metals. I'm sure. And as they're gathering, he begins to say, hey, here's this Paul. This Paul is, has gone throughout all of Asia. And he's telling people that the things that we make are not really God's. 
He's heard some of the stories, and yet he's not willing to accept it. And what we see here, this third story, is that there is a rejection of the word, rejection of the truth. And then there's a threatening that happens. So the first story is that there's missing something. The 12 are missing it. The second is that they're trying to gain something, personal gain. This third story is that they know that they are losing something. Something's being taken from them. Well, what is that? It's their business. It's their occupation. It's their way of making a living. And it's being stripped from them. And so what they do is they gather a large crowd and they get this crowd and they go into the theater in Ephesus. Now, what's interesting is Dr. Luke records for us that some of these people didn't even know why they were there, which shows how easy it is for the world to be led astray. And as the world is led astray, we need to understand and know that there are still some people that, that are oblivious, that don't, don't even know why they're doing certain things. This group is gathered, and for, uh, for a brief time, there is a Jew, Alexander, uh, who, was, uh, who is nominated to get up and to say a few words. But when the crowd sees who he is, that he's a Jew, then they don't want anything to do with him. And so for two hours, which is absolutely amazing to me, they begin this chanting, or they continue this chanting, great is Artemis in Ephesus. Great is Artemis in Ephesus, over and over, because they don't want to hear what he has to say. So next, there's a clerk. All right, This clerk was probably somebody in the town, kind of like a mayor who was, who was appointed, and he comes, and he, he quiets the crowd, and he gets their attention, and he says, men of Ephesus, verse 35, who is there who does not know that the city of Ephesus is a temple keeper to the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? See, history tells us that there was a belief that there was a, a meteor that had fallen in Ephesus here and that they had taken that and sculpted it into this image of a god, Artemis, this goddess. And so um, he says, who, who's to tell us that we don't have this? Come on. Seeing that these things cannot be denied, verse 36, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. Well, were they? A little bit. I think he's trying to keep the peace here. He's trying to calm the crowd down. And while they were not sacrilegious, they were very religious, Paul and his disciples. In fact, let me back up just for a moment. Paul wanted to go in, but his, his buddies said, you're not, you're not going in there. But it shows Paul's heart. And by the time we get to the end of this book, we're going to see a complete picture of what a disciple, what a follower of Jesus really looks like. Because Paul says, listen, for, for me to die is to gain. And I look at us today, and I shared this a little bit last week. For us, we think dying is like the worst thing in the world. Oh, how we've changed. How our culture has changed our mindset. Not that we pursue death. We pursue Jesus. And the great part is every day that I live is a closer day to heaven. A closer day that I can't wait to see my Savior. Paul knew that the gospel message was the most important thing as he proclaimed 
as he lived his life, he wanted people to see Jesus. Even those who may abuse it. Even those who may threaten against it. This uh, clerk calms everybody down. And ultimately, he says, listen, we could be in big trouble with the Roman authorities if we don't calm down and, and disperse. We will be charged with rioting. Which was a huge factor. And later on, actually, the, the Christians are going to be accused of that under Nero. Many of them will have to give their life. They will sacrifice their life because of a false charge of making riots. Verse 41, it says, when he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So then we'll see what Paul does next week as we continue. But in closing, as we look at these three stories, I think it's pretty clear for us to be able to have some application and to think about those who in our lives, where they are, but also where are we in our pursuit of Jesus in our relationship? Are you missing something? Is there something you need to continue to gain? Is there somebody in your life that is pretty spiritual but they're missing the key ingredient. That's Jesus. Keep sharing Jesus. Keep praying. Keep asking God to work in that individual's heart and that life in their life. Do you see people who are trying to use spiritual things for their personal gain? I don't think it's too hard to see that sometimes. Understand God has a purpose and He's got a way. It's not yours and I's opportunity or our job to. Um, to be the judge. In fact, we're warned very strongly in the New Testament not to be judges because then we condemn ourselves because not one of us are perfect. So we need to be patient, acknowledging that God is in control and sometimes he allows bad things to happen for his purpose and for his plan so that the gospel will continue to be heard. We also understand that sometimes people respond to the gospel differently, especially those who feel threatened by it. And that's what we see in this last story. These pagan men were threatened by what Paul was preaching and teaching. Was it right what they did? No. Did God protect Paul? Yes. And he protected Paul's two buddies who were in the midst of it. God will protect us too. God's word is the truth. And the gospel message is the most critical message that we could ever live and proclaim. There are different groups and different, different types of people all across our world, and maybe you have people in your life that fit into these three categories. Continue to pray for them. Continue to be the light that they need to see so that it could be said what was said here. Even though there is opposition to the way, and we believe that there is only one way, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through who? Jesus.
even though there may be opposition to the way. May the gospel continue to spread here in Akron, in Summit County, in Ohio, and across the world. God wants to use you to be a part of that. Will you continue to allow him to do that? Will you pray with me? Lord, thanks for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to open it and to study it, to unpack a little bit of its truths, Lord. Lord, as we read this section in Acts, it, it, and we'll continue to see it, Lord, there is a cost of following you. And sometimes, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't know if we realize that cost of our own life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to show us as individuals, as followers of Jesus, and as a church. Help us to be willing To pay whatever price so that you may be glorified through us. And so the world may know that there is a Savior. And he provides hope and peace and joy. His name is Jesus. And may our life display that today and the rest of our lives. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.